Hey everybody, it's, uh, it's good to be back. My name is Josh Reynolds, and I actually got invited to preach here exactly one year ago. So this is uh, Full Circle, Masa Buena, for all those Lion King fans out there. Circle of Life has just happened, you witnessed it. Um, I am a, a college pastor at Indiana University, working with college kids, but I'm getting older. And so I used to carry an iPad, and now I carry a computer, so I've got the large print. So some of you can relate. Um, it's really good to be here. Uh, I got an email from my friend Ken whenever um, I got invited to, to preach this Sunday. And, uh, and Ken's email said that the message that we're teaching on is, um, is Jesus strong? And I was like, does a bear poop in the woods? <laughs> yes, Jesus is strong. Have a great Memorial Day, right? And I felt like that's what we should have done for this sermon series. But we're in this sermon series, The Good Book. And the purpose of The Good Book series is to look at episodes. Is to look at episodes, not just singular stories. Uh, I was telling Stephen a little bit earlier, uh, he, he was made famous in that video, opening the video there. Um, I was telling him that I was a little irritated when I saw that the, our text this morning is Luke 8, because there's five different stories in Luke 8, and they all build off of Luke 7. And so really, I should be preaching a multi-month series right now uh, on Luke 7 and Luke 8, but instead I'm going to smash four stories into one morning. And the purpose of the episodes, rather than the individual stories, is because I want to see God's character. I want to learn God's character throughout the episodes. Uh, so last week was the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus was turning the religious news of the day on its ear. He was making a new proclamation about what the kingdom life looked like. And so I'm actually going to pray for us uh, right now, but then we're going to set a foundation at John chapter 1. But you can turn straight to Luke 8.22, and then we'll, uh, we'll run fast. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, um, we open your word, and we want to see you. And so I pray that, that you are active, not in my words, but in your word. Oh. God, help us, uh, help us to be drawn deeper. Help us to surface um, the tensions and the doubts that we carry. Um, and Father, I pray that, that you are the one that is glorified this morning and that as a result of, of holding your word and hearing your word, God, we are drawn closer to you. It's my prayer. Amen. All right. John 1 is a theological foundation. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The author John opens his book of the Bible with two things. And this is really important to get right. He opens with two things, a relationship and then creation. And he's not arguing for origin scientifically in this particular passage. He's arguing for worship. In worship, uh, the, the God and the word came together. There was a unique communion. Something happened, and the universe sprang to existence. His point is worship, that Jesus is in the observable creativity of our world. 
Jesus is the creative of our observable world. This is really important because we can argue the details because we weren't there. And I imagine just in this room alone, there's opposing viewpoints of the science behind it. But when I read John 1, I see it as a worship-filled act where there's a, a relationship and creation. I can see all of a sudden that, that in the Father, in the Son, creativity happened in darkness to bring life. Creativity happened in darkness to bring life. That's going to show up in Luke chapter 8. Because Luke chapter 8 is a snapshot of four miracles that everyone can see. So if the point of John 1, if the point of John 1 is to create a worship-filled understanding of in relationship, there is creation. But we can argue that because we weren't there. Luke 8 is going to show us four miracles that everyone can see. And in those, in those miracles, there are still worship because of the relationship, and then things are created from that place. Here's the four miracles. Jesus is going to command a storm this morning. He's going to accost a legion of demons. He's going to call out an unclean woman and quiet a funeral. So walking out of this morning, our hope, our hope is to trust that same strength. Is Jesus strong? Yeah. We want to trust that same strength that God is can that God will be creatively redemptive in relationship with me, that he will be creatively redemptive. His strength is enough for you in relationship today because the kingdom of God always creates within relationship. So this, if you've heard me, this is my fourth time here. It's been one year. I, t I stop often uh, in the middle of sermons and I let you talk back. That's gonna happen four times at least today potentially five. So be ready to talk because I'm going to read and I'm going to ask you then, what is the relationship that you see in the words up here? So 822, uh, let's read it together. And then I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you, what is the relationship in the story? And then let's look at what's being created. It's not rocket science. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep a squall came down the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Okay, if you know these stories, don't jump ahead of me, all right? What is the relationship in the story immediately? Okay, that's what's going to be created, yes, but that's not the relationship yet. Based off of these verses, what's the relationship? Yeah, yeah, Jesus and the disciples. Remember, it's not rocket science. Just put it right up there. It's, all right, here it is. The disciples are the first relationship. It's the science behind sudden squalls on the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, <laughs> Gallery. Uh, Tobin outlined it. He said that leading down into the, into the sea is mountains. And these mountains have gorges that are cut through them. And so wind actually gains more speed as it pushes through the narrow channels and the gorges cut into the rocks. And so as soon as those, that fast wind bursts onto the lake, it hits the water and waves come up and storms can rise rapidly. Okay? So that's cool. Tobin preached the first half of my sermon. 
Keep reading in Luke 8, 24. I'm going to ask you again what the, the next relationship is. The disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? The where is your faith is the relationship that we already identified, Jesus and the disciples. What's the next relationship? Trust for the disciples. Again, that's an outcome of the relationship. Jesus has a new relationship in these, for, in these two verses. Yeah, with the storm, with nature, thank you. Yeah, there's a new relationship, which is Jesus and his disciples, master, master, and the outcome of that was trust, and he was questioning it. The other relationship was Jesus and his power over the elements, his power with the elements. This is really cool. The disciples, if you keep reading, and P.S., I'm going to trust that y'all are reading this story on your own because I can only have this much time because I'm trying to get through 22 minutes is all John gave me. <laughs> Joke's on him. He's not here. 25. All right. <laughs> the thing that's being created because of Jesus' capacity to still the storm, the thing that's being created is trust. It's the outcome. You nailed it. See, the disciples know that in the Old Testament, there is only one God that can control the natural elements. It's Yahweh. It's our God, <laughs> which, spoiler alert, he's in the Old Testament. The Psalms, if you start in 89 and you read until about 105, there's a series of 15 Psalms that Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm celebrate and acknowledge that it is only God who can create the natural and so the thing that's being created is the disciples' understanding of Jesus' strength. But it's over the elements. Who is this? They're in fear. All right. Let's go to the next scene. Luke 8.26. You guys are getting the hang of this. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So this is the end of the boat trip. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. Luke is going to tell you more details as you read this for yourself. Uh, he's going to tell you that this man was chained, that this man was often under, under guard. If you read Matthew and Mark, you can see the same account with new details. The man used to cut himself. He used to howl. He would break the chains. I mean, there's, there's some cool stuff happening, and I, I literally do not have time to go into details there. The question for you guys is this, what is the relationship and then what is being created? Here's what I, I wanna get to down the road and, and we're gonna start building this. In the kingdom of God, creation always happens out of relationship. So what is the relationship in these verses? There's three. Say again. Okay, yeah, the spiritual relationship of Jesus and the demon, good. What's the next relationship? Okay, the, the man, right, who has the demon, excellent. There's a third relationship, and this one's kind of um, immersed in there, not said out loud, but we know that they've just gotten off the boat together. Who's the third, who's the third relationship that's standing on the shore watching the demon and the man and Jesus happen? The disciples are there again, excellent. All right, here we go. Um, from those relationships, there's creation. 
And so we're going to keep reading, but we're going to skip all the way to the end of the story. This is Luke 8, 35, and we're going to jump straight to the creation. Here it is. The people of the city, next relationship, came out to see what had happened. And so you'll have to go read about it for yourself. When they came to Jesus, the people of the city found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Two things being created. Number one, there is the restoration of a human being. The guy with the demon inside of him has sanity returned to him. The things from Luke 8.35 is that he's dressed. Hip-hop hooray. Thank you very much for that. He's dressed. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, which would be the pose of a master teacher, right? And he is in his right mind. What Jesus has done is restore the humanity to someone who was crazy town, who, who would cut himself, who was tortured by the internal demons. And those were some real things when you guys go back and study that on your own. There's a second thing that's being created, and it's actually something that is being broken in this story. And so this was the one that was a brand new uh, angle for me when I was studying it. When the people of the city came out to see, when they had heard what had happened, which again, spoiler alert, you got to go read it for yourself. It involves a herd of pigs. Um, when they came out to see what had happened, and they found the man in their right mind. Look at the very end of 835. They were afraid. What Jesus did was he broke a system because the people of the city had learned how to live with the crazy guy out in the tombs. They knew how to handle the broken person in their society. And when they came out to see the guy who was formerly broken, they saw him in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, and their response was fear. And I give you this, it was not the same fearful response that the disciples had on the boat. See, the strength of Jesus on the boat was over the natural with the disciples, and so the fear that those guys felt was, oh man, I know the power, I can see the strength, I can see the power of Jesus. The people of the city came out, and they got to see it too. The guy was dressed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And instead of being selfish, like, oh man, we need to go get everybody broken from our city and bring him out here to, to the tombs. No, no, no. We got to get Jesus and bring him to our city. Instead of that kind of selfishness, they were driven to fear and kicking Jesus out. See, Jesus broke the, the system and the order of things. That's what the kingdom of God does. It breaks oppressive systems. The kingdom of God is creation to, to his relationship that has creation come out of it. And the creation is light and life. That's the transition to the next two stories. They're woven together. The next two stories are woven together. Here's the, here's the um, Cliff Notes version. They get, the Jesus and disciples get back onto the boat. They roll to the other side of the sea. And the crowds come. And whenever they get off the boat, a man who rules in the synagogue, a synagogue ruler named Jairus, shows up. And he says, I've got a sick daughter. She's 12 years old. Jesus, please, 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 will you come heal her? Yay. Jesus says yes. And so on the way to solving the daughter, uh, solving the daughter's problem, 
A woman in the crowd touches Jesus, and, and he stops to attend to her. Meanwhile, because of stopping and attending to this woman, the daughter ends up dying. Okay, so that's the two stories smashed together that we're going to read. So we're going to start at the funeral next. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 51. Here's the funeral. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. Let's identify the relationships here, and here's, what, here's my premise. The two relationships that we're going to see, like that, we, that are in this, that are literally in this little chunk of Scripture, the two relationships that we see are not worship-filled. What's the first not worship-filled relationship? Yeah, it's the mourners outside. I mean, laughing at Jesus is a bold move. When Jesus shows up, maybe that's because we have the rest of the story. But seriously, I appreciate the reality of people going, uh, <laughs> yeah, we know she's dead. We know she's dead. Actually, they pay us to come mourn. That's our job. And vocationally, I'm pretty good at what I do. Oh, uh, you guys know that? They paid, they had professional mourners to come, right? So they were good at their job, and they're like, <laughs> she's dead. Okay, that's one broken relationship. What's the second not worship-filled relationship here? Anybody know it? This one's weird because I started to see myself here, not so much in the demon and the pigs, uh, not so much in the boat and the loss of the storm, but in this one, because my oldest daughter is named Annie and she's 11. And so, and so here's the storyline that I read in this chunk. I read the reality of what it would look like to have my kid critically ill. And for me, the dad, to be looking for anything that could save her. You tracking? Where's my wife been that whole time? She's been sitting at the side of the bed of Annie, my kid, holding her hand, doing anything she can do, which is nothing, waiting. Here's the other piece that you guys might not connect. Uh, Jairus is a synagogue ruler, and here's the deal. If you know this story a little bit, this is the New Testament. Jesus is not really welcomed uh, among the synagogue rulers when we see them show up in scripture. And for Jairus to run to Jesus, read it for yourself, he goes and he falls at Jesus's feet. He ate dirt in a way of showing Jesus how much he needed Jesus in that moment. And he did that in front of a gigantic crowd. And so you talk about the, the slice of humble pie that Jairus had to eat in order to go get Jesus to bring him to his daughter. And in the meantime, the daughter died. Like there's a broken, potentially not worship-filled relationship happening right there. And so Jesus takes the girl's hand and says, little daughter, or my child, depending on what translation you read, little daughter, get up. Oh, man. 
Man, as a dad, can you imagine sitting by the bedside all of a sudden? I love that. In worship-filled relationship with the kingdom of God, relationship always creates light. It creates life. And that's what happens here. Guys, these stories, these four stories that we're telling, and we'll get to the fourth one right now, they show up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I feel like each time there's a juxtaposition. So there's a juxtaposition in the, in the fear. Like when something scary happens, when you see the strength of Jesus, his power, you either run to it because you're in awe or you run away from it because you're intimidated. At this moment, the juxtaposition is the death of a little girl for t- who's 12 years old. And the juxtaposition is a woman in the crowd who's been bleeding for 12 years. Look at her story. 842 through 45. Jesus was on his way to the funeral. The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asks. The relationship that we see here, the primary relationship Obviously, Jesus and the woman, right? My question for y'all, what's created? What's, what's created? Yeah, faith, belief. Again, those are things that she does because you know the story. We have healing immediately. Excellent. We have healing immediately. Let me, let me put out a second thing. When Jesus asks the single question, who touched me, what does he command? You got it. He said, who did it? Right? He's asking for a testimony. Ah, oh, this is cool. This is cool. Down in Bedford last night, um, two baptisms happened. And the storyline of baptism is not that going into the water. I'm pointing out where it usually is. It's not here this morning, but it's usually right there. Right? The story of baptism is that I'm going into the water to be identified to say, Jesus touched me. I felt his power. It's a testimony in baptism. The water is not the thing that saves. It's touching Jesus that saves. It's the faith that saves. Right here, we've got to realize that this woman lives in a Jewish religious system, and her ailment of bleeding makes her unclean. Leviticus chapter 15. She is not allowed to go to church for 12 years. She is not allowed to go to any of the religious festivals for 12 years. She's not allowed to be married. And if she was married before the bleeding started, then she's to be permanently separated from her husband and her children. It gets worse. Because Jesus says, who touched me. He demands a testimony. And this is, the, this is the crazy part. Her illness, this bleeding makes her a social pariah. She never should have been in that crush of a crowd because anyone who jostled into her, unclean. And she never should have touched a religious leader like Jesus, a teacher like Jesus, because she then would make him unclean. Clean, and now she's singled out. You nailed it. 
who touched me. Guys, this is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. All of the Bible. So take this slide and answer a question for yourself. Talk about it. I need to take a break anyway. All right. The question's down at the bottom. What is the worst of this woman's problems? The worst. So basically, I'm asking you to rank them in your own mind or with the people sitting next to you. What's the worst of her problems? Her physical suffering, spending her life savings without cure, the social outcastness, the loss of the religious purity, meaning you can't go to church for 12 years, or the internal voices about her worth. Take a minute or two, talk amongst yourselves. You can pick one or two or three and just rank them for yourself, okay? We know the right answer. (laughs) All right, what do we think? F, all of the above. That's what they said too, cheap. What's the worst? What's the worst? Come on, somebody's got to be brave, have an idea. D, E, D again for you too, D. Okay, C, the social. Yeah, I like that one. E2. <laughs> and you? I like that. He's speaking Spanish to me. Cool. Yeah. Hey, this is, this is one of the ways that I read scripture, just for the record, uh, in your bulletin, down at the very bottom. Um, I've got the very, the very final three bullets there is my trust that you all are going to read this on your own. And so there's a couple ways of how to read these stories uh, throughout the week as you study it for yourself. I do this right here naturally in my head. I try to put myself in the place and identify, man, how would I be responding? How would I be feeling? What would be my experience if I was her? The relationship that was created from the apparent cruelty of Jesus' who touched me is beautiful, actually. Look at 847. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. There's our juxtaposition line. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's nothing scientific here in the book of Luke. There is only the power of Jesus, his strength, and the faith of an urgent, urgent woman. In the crush of the people, what Jesus does is he touches her. See, he touches her. She touched him already, but then he touches her. He makes himself unclean. He identifies with her uncleanliness, and instead he restores her. Relationship in the kingdom of God is a, is a creative act. He restores her, and you see the word that he calls her? Daughter. Ah, oh, we've heard this already, right? He identifies with her uncleanliness, with her faith, and he says, this thing has healed you. It's been my strength, but it's your testimony. She stands up in the middle of the crowd and declares, he has healed me. This is beautiful. In every story this morning, the people who interact with Jesus come away with worship. The disciples come away with awe. The demon-possessed man, he says, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, no. And so he goes back to his town and he tells the whole city about it. 
people of the city thought they got rid of Jesus. Instead, they got the, the demon-possessed no more man announcing who Jesus was and what he did. You have a father and a mother holding their daughter. You have a woman announcing to the crowd her testimony. I have been healed. So is Jesus strong? Does a bear poop in the woods? Affirmative. <laughs> We're going to add one word to is Jesus strong. And adding one word makes this personal to you guys, to any person at any stage of faith. Is Jesus strong enough? So when I say, is Jesus strong enough, all of a sudden I've seen Jesus strong enough for the panic of his friends. I've seen Jesus strong enough to restore someone who is mentally tortured, who's been imprisoned. I've seen Jesus strong enough for a grieving family. I've seen Jesus strong enough for a lonely social outcast an isolated woman. This word enough allows me, Josh, to surface my deepest questions about is Jesus strong enough for my forgiveness, for my doubts? Across this room, this is your work. This is your walkout. You have to answer this one for yourself because every story this morning has not been necessarily about Jesus' strength, but who the strength is for. This morning, the whole book of Scripture is about the story of relationship with God, and that's what the strength of Jesus is. The strength of Jesus this morning, church, is for you unless you don't need him. Unless you don't need him. And that's where the knife kind of turns in the gut, right? Relationship with God, life in the kingdom, is for those who aren't strong enough and know it. That's the act of moving towards God. That's the strength of Jesus pulling you into relationship. 